It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Martin Luther King Jr. said, If we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the CQ Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new study questions tool, an easy-to-follow, single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Jonathan, what are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question is, what three steps will get us to heaven? Part two. And our theme text is found in Romans chapter eight, verse 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So again, the question, what three steps will get us to heaven? And this is part two. We know that every Christian wants to go to heaven. The real question is, does every Christian know what's required to get there? Last week, we began to talk about the several important elements that God has put in place to define not only his plan in general, but to clearly show us what the Christian call is all about. What we found were some very legal pieces to the puzzle, as well as some very practical pieces. It all boils down to two things. First, there is a path to heaven, and it is well-defined. Second, for the rest of the world who don't go to heaven, there also is a path to salvation, even though its destination is earthly, there are many similarities to the path to heaven. So coming up in today's podcast, is being a Christian all about the glory? Is it all about gloating rights? In segments two and three, we look at what glory actually means and what it specifically means to Christians. What we find is way more revealing than you might think. What if someone told you that all non-Christians who ever lived also had a great opportunity for righteous glory as well? Does this diminish what Christianity is all about? Well, in segments four and five, we dive into a surprising number of scriptures that explain this alternate kind of glory. Rick, now let's put all of these pieces in perspective. Okay, let's do that. Uh, Jonathan, last week we introduced five or six, I'm sorry, six basic words that define the entire plan of God. We, we touched on five of those words last week, and so we're going to go just do a very brief recap of those five and then get into that sixth word, which has to do with glory, and then put our podcast together from there. All right, Rick, let's start with salvation. Okay, so salvation is the big picture subject of the entire Bible. All humanity was lost with God uh, 
uh, harmony, I'm sorry, all humanity's harmony was lost with God because of Adam's disobedience. God knew this, and he was pre-prepared to take care of this. Next, redemption. Redemption. This is the legal method, legal method by which salvation is accomplished. Justice needed satisfaction, and Jesus' perfect human life redeemed Adam and therefore redeemed all of the rest of us. That brings us to justification. Justification is the application of that ransom price, of the redemption, which comes on an individual basis. The application comes individually. Justification, and this is important, is an event. It's the legal acquitting of an individual from the, from the human heritage of the sin of Adam. Now, what is reconciliation? So we've got salvation, the big picture. Redemption is the method by which salvation happens. Justification is the application of that redemption. Reconciliation is the process of reconnecting humanity with God. Reconciliation can only occur if justification is in place and is the legal requirement to maintain God's grace. How about sanctification? Okay, sanctification is the process of becoming holy. Now, we're going through these very, very quickly at this point. We'll be expanding them later on in the podcast. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. This process can at times begin even before justification is put in place. It's a developmental requirement to maintain God's grace. And lastly, Rick, glorification. Okay, glorification is the result of justification, reconciliation, and sanctification. God's plan of salvation has always been to have an eternal family both in heaven and on earth. Well, Rick, when you put all of these points together, the subject really dispels the old myth that is taught by most churches. That is, it's either heaven or hell. But when you read the scriptural verses... And it's all so clear that salvation is heavenly and earthly. That begs the question, why isn't my church teaching these truths? Okay, and we're, we're going to need to expand to get to all of that as, as we go. But you just said a mouthful in terms of what the scriptures say and what is often taught and the divergence between those two things. Let's Because we didn't talk about glorification at all last week, let's touch on a scripture just to put it in some context. Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay. Glory revealed to us. So there you get a sense of there is a glory coming and it's pretty amazing in relation to sort of the everything else. So now that we've got these six words out again, salvation, redemption, justification, reconciliation, sanctification, and glorification, um, we, we want to proceed to see how glorification, we left off with this last week, is the end result, literally the crowning achievement of all of these previous steps in God's plan. Okay. And glory is literally, according to Scripture, a crowning achievement. You know, the crown of glory? Yes. So yeah, you, you've got that literal aspect to it. Jesus clearly introduced the concept of heavenly glory, uh, though no one was really able to grasp it at that point in time. We're just going to touch on two Scriptures where Jesus puts that concept out there. The first is Matthew five, eleven and 12. So this is relatively early in his ministry. 
blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so you've got Jesus saying your reward in heaven is great. This is Matthew 5. This is in the context of the, of the Beatitudes. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Very early on, he's talking about a heavenly reward. And that's something that was not common or, or understood at all until Jesus brings it up. Now we go to the end of Jesus' ministry. He, now, he mentions heaven several times in between. We're just touching in the beginning and the end. John 14, verses 1 to 3, this is the last night that he is talking to his disciples before his crucifixion. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So this is very, very specific. I'm going, I'm leaving you. In my Father's house, there are dwelling places. Now, in his Father's house, obviously, is, no, is not around the corner on Main Street. Okay, <laughs> No, in <laughs> <You> heaven. <laughs> that's right. This is heaven. And he's saying, there are places, and I'm preparing a place for you. So it's very obvious that heaven is part of what he's talking about. So, Jonathan, as we just kind of wrap up the, the summation and the introduction to glorification, what would be our glorification explanation so far? Jesus clearly assures his followers of being with him in heavenly glory. It's a clear assurance that we can you can you can go to the bank with it. It's very 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 specific. So, Jesus says glory can be in our future if we comply with God's will. This is both awesome and scary. Christians are promised glory in heaven if they follow in Jesus's footsteps. What does that really mean? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row, really easy playlist features, and you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. When it comes to glory in heaven, our imaginations can easily run wild. The fact is, we really don't know anything about heaven. The imagery of clouds or harps or cities with golden streets are all simplistic and maybe even foolish. God's grandeur is beyond any fabrication of any earthly mind. It's just bigger than we can imagine. And I know you say that, but... I can imagine. Right? Oh, so now you're going to imagine. Let, okay. me, let me look. You know, the 12 apostles, you know, they receive a special place beyond what faithful followers that come after should receive because they're the foundation of the church. I can see in heaven, they're in a special spot. <laughs> now, do you know what that spot looks like? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> but it's got to be. <laughs> it's got to be. Well, and you're right. You know, we have this sense of something big and something magnificent but we really don't know how. And, and the interesting thing is every explanation of heaven is is spoken of in earthly terms to, to give us a sense. But heaven is in another dimension. It's beyond. It's outside of the universe. So, you know, whatever it is, it is something that we can't even begin to grasp. So let's talk about glory. What does glory 
actually mean. Remember, glorification is the sixth word in those descriptions of God's plan. Glory in Scripture is a very general word used in a wide variety of ways. In, in the New Testament, Jonathan, there's primarily two words for glory. What, what, are, what do they mean? Well, the first is glory in a wide application, literal or figurative, objective or subjective. And the other word means to render or esteem glorious in a wide application. So it doesn't add anything spectacular, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Here's the newsflash. <laughs> glory means glory. Okay, now that we've not, we've got it, let's see how the word is used because that's going to help us understand a little bit more. We're going to give three scriptural examples here, each of a different kind of glory. Matthew 4, 8 is where we'll start. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Okay, so the devil, this is when Jesus was tempted when he was in the, in the, in the wilderness right after his baptism. And it says he, the, the devil showed him the, the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. So there's an example of earthly glory. And it was something that had some kind of an appeal, because otherwise Satan wouldn't have used it, because Jesus came actually to save that earthly glory and to, and to make it something that would be much more godly. So you've got earthly glory expressed in Matthew 4, verse 8. Now let's go to Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now when you glorify God in heaven, this is heavenly glory at its highest, highest form. To glorify is to render glorious. So in other words, it's for us to look at that and say, that's magnificent. And when you're trying to explain that in terms of God, that's incredibly magnificent, beyond words, beyond imagination. So we've got earthly glory in the first scripture, heavenly glory in the second scripture. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. So you've got human glory. In there, in other words, Jesus is saying they're looking for the esteem of of other hum, uh, human beings. They're looking to be recognized and saying, "Wow, look at these guys! Look how wonderful they are!" So you've got earthly glory, heavenly glory, human glory. The point is, glory is used in a lot of different ways. It's does it's not just reserved for heaven. We have to understand that as we proceed. Okay, now we're talking about glory. We're talking about esteeming things highly and the and the wonderment of it all. Now we go to a soundbite. And the soundbite, uh, I'll just tell you it's from Atheist Alley. That's all you need to know. You know, it, it gives you a sense of here's going to be a very contrary perspective of what we uh, deem to be very, very sacred. So this is heaven, do you qualify? And there's definitely a large degree of sarcasm in what you're about to hear. I have good news if you believe every word in the Bible is true. You no longer need to die in order to find out if you'll be going to heaven. Today I will discuss what is required according to the scriptures for you to enter the kingdom of God. You can then answer a simple quiz to determine if you will be accepted. Ministers of Christianity teach that we only need to believe in Jesus in order to enter heaven. Their proof is in verses such as John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Believers in faiths other than Christianity and non-believers are therefore excluded from heaven. 
Well, you know, at the end, he does have a point there. <laughs> okay? And so what he's saying, though, is he's saying, well, you know, if you can't go to heaven, then, you know, obviously you, you can't go anywhere and nothing's good. We're going to come back to him because he's sarcastic and, he, and he's taking the scriptures and using them, quoting them, misquoting them, partially quoting them to try to make a point that's contrary. And, you know, my response, Jonathan, to this is always the same. If it's a book you don't believe in, stop reading it. Don't quote it. Don't quote a book that, that you don't want to make sense. If you want to make sense of it, let's talk. <laughs> okay, let's talk. Nice. All right. Anyway, so for true Christians, let's get back to the, the whole idea of getting to glory. For true Christians, God's salvation, the big picture, is very present every day. If we've answered the call and we're given his spirit, okay, God, those two things, answered the call and given his spirit, we're living in a state of being redeemed, justified, and reconciled. What we must do is take these privileges and continually seek greater sanctification. This is kind of like a review of last week. Next, there is glory in this, in all of those things, right now, and there's unfathomable glory in this later for Christians. Rick, it's hard to wrap your head around the glory right now as following after Jesus. I I always picture the glory later, the reward, the, the majesty of seeing God and his son in heaven. But the right now, here and now, how do, how do we focus on that? How do we understand that? Well, you know, part of the glory right now, as we will see as we go through scriptures, is the idea that God is working with your life. He's not just sort of paying attention. He's working with your life. God's providence is in your every day. And Jonathan, in, even in the middle of the greatest trials, if that is not a glorious thing to hold on to, there is no, no such thing as glory. Because to have God Almighty in your everyday life, that's glory now. Now, it doesn't look glorious when we're suffering, but it brings something much greater. So, Rick, what you're saying is sanctification brings glorification. That's exactly, exactly what I'm saying. Let's go to Philippians 1, verse 6. For I am content of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, the good work in us is already started. So, so he's saying, Paul's saying, I'm confident. He started the work in you. He'll finish because God always finishes what he starts. The question is, do I finish what I start with him? Okay. But he says he's going to, it's going to perfect us until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, let's expand that a little further. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So this scripture, Jonathan, you said, you know, how do you wrap your head around the glory right now? Well, it says our inner man is being renewed day by day. It's being renewed. It's being strengthened every day. That's glory. That's looking at things and saying, it's God working in me. And that made me think of the Holy Spirit, God's power and influence in a human being. I mean, I guess I can see that is glorious. It is. What a privilege. It's, it's, it's bigger. It's bigger and it's more significant than we, we can actually even define. So there, there's a wonderful glory now in spite of all of the difficulty. And we don't look at it as glorious necessarily, but it is, but it is.
So let's take a step back now that we see that working in us. What's our larger purpose as Christians? What are we being prepared for? You know, Jonathan, a lot of times we think, well, we're going to go to heaven and it's going to be great. You're going to go to heaven because God is preparing you for something. Well, what is it? Romans 8, verses 18 to 21. We're just going to stop for a brief moment after verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay, sufferings of this present time compared to the glory in the future. Sufferings of this present time, that's the work of sanctification. Okay, remember being made more and more holy compared to the glory. So it's saying that what you go through, the reward is greater than anything you're experiencing. Now, this expands. Listen carefully to what the Apostle Paul says next in verses 19 through 21. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you see what that said? Because of him who subjected it, God subjected the creation to this suffering with hope because the creation, the world of mankind, will also be set free from the slavery to corruption. They're going to be set free into what? Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is that freedom? The justification, the reconciliation, those things. It's saying in the future, that's waiting for them. That's huge. Wow. (laughs) That's the world that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus now. That's what it says in Romans. You can't make it up. It's right there. So the freedom we have from Adam's sin is the freedom that the world is longing for now. And you're referring to that justification that we've grabbed onto. Right. And and believing in Christ and following in his footsteps and and then developing that sanctification, trying to be set apart for a holy purpose for God. As a matter of fact, we're going there next. Once we establish the glory of those who are called now, we're going to go to the everybody else and how it all fits next. So yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. Now let's go continue a little bit further. Second Corinthians now, chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And remember, we're talking about the trials of this life, and the glory, not only now, but the glory later given to the, the, those who are tried as the footstep followers of Jesus. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So, Jonathan, in this verse, it sounds almost like, well, you know, we're saying that the the reconciliation of the world is future, but in this verse, it says that it sounds like God has already done it. It It really does. God was was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Here's how that's happening, okay? That's happening because the world is being reconciled by the followers of Jesus being first reconciled. Because what we'll see, it says that, the followers of Jesus are have the ministry of reconciliation. So it's put into their hands to help to reconcile the world. We're going to get to that in, 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 in a couple of segments here, so stay with us for that. So their reconciliation is underway in that the true church, the followers of Jesus, are now being reconciled because they are the tools of reconciliation. That's what Second Corinthians says. 
and think of the influence that we might have in sharing the good news right. and the hope that's within us now, even if they don't listen. Right. Right. And we're that's still doing our part, right? Exactly. That's the point. You need to speak it out. Even if they're not listening, say it anyway. It's okay. So let's wrap this up talking about the glory of, uh, of the Christian in the future, the work that we're going we're to expand a little bit more on, and even the glory today. The glorification explanation at this point is what? The glory given to Jesus' true followers has a world-changing purpose of being directly involved in the reconciliation of humanity back to God. And we're going to begin to expand that in, in, a, in great detail in the next segment. So, even though we don't understand what heavenly glory looks like, we can be sure of its eternal value. We have glory and responsibility before us. Does this apply differently for the rest of the world? Did you know about all the video content we have? Go beyond the audio podcast with all our on-demand videos at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Discover our Moments That Matter series, the exclusive CQ Kids releases, and much more. See new videos every week. Subscribe, share, like, and give us your comments at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Now I'll throw the mic back to Rick and Jonathan. You know, there are massive differences between the rewards and responsibilities of Jesus' followers and the rest of the human race. The call to follow Jesus is just that. It is a selective call. God's plan for the rest of the world is squarely built upon Jesus' sacrifice, but it's built in an entirely different way. Okay, so the world is different. Folks, we're talking about how our, when I say our, meaning the, the, the called-out Christians, how our justification and sanctification lead to glory. Those three basic steps, and there's obviously more to it, about getting to heaven. Okay, but now we need to go further and say, okay, with the footstep followers in place, now let's apply those six words that we started out the podcast with. Let's see how the glory of Jesus' followers contribute to the rest of the world. So now we're talking about everybody. So let's start with salvation. Okay, and that's the big picture uh, subject of the entire Bible. That's what salvation is. Simply stated, the paradise God gave to man that was lost because of sin. That's why you need salvation. Something big was lost. What was lost? Well, we're going to sum that up very, very concisely. Genesis 1, verses 26, 29, and 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which is fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So what you had is man created in God's image, man given dominion, awesome, sinless, perfect environment for the crowning jewel of God's earthly creation, humanity, to dwell in. That's what was there. Okay? Rick, so what's salvation applied? Okay, so applying salvation, God's plan shows a dramatic restoration through Jesus. Because remember, Adam sinned, and that was lost. So now you have to apply salvation. John twelve forty seven. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
And Rick, after uh, preparing this scripture, I thought of 1 Peter 4, 17, where it says, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. So this is showing that it's not time for the judging of the world now. Right. And Jesus said, you know, I'm not coming to judge the world. Well, but there is judgment, but it comes later. So salvation, the big picture of God's plan says, yes, I will get to judgment. Don't worry, I won't forget it. It's all part of salvation to restore that which was lost. Rick, I love this. Prophecy confirms salvation for all. These prophecies are amazing. And we're going to be focusing, we're going to come back, every single point we make, we're going to come back to Isaiah chapter 35. So if you've got your Bible, get your finger in Isaiah 35 and follow with us, because it's interesting to me how Isaiah 35 develops all six of those words that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast in a prophetic form, and the beauty is, this is about the world of mankind. So Isaiah 35, verses 1 and 2. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. And the Arabia, the desert plain, will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and the shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So, Jonathan, when you hear about the wilderness and the desert being glad and blossoming, profusely blossoming, doesn't that remind you of the garden? Oh, it does indeed. A perfect environment for humanity. So that awesome, sinless, perfect environment in Isaiah 35 is saying, look, the barrenness of the desert, just wait. It's saying, and that's the plan of salvation. It's being shown, just like the garden at the beginning. Okay, so that's exciting. We're looking at that saying, oh, this is cool. Where do we go from here? Well, let's go back to a soundbite. Let's let's deflate everybody. (laughs) Okay, from Atheist Alley, heaven, do you qualify? Remember now, this gentleman is saying, you know, very, very emphatically, I can tell you if you're going to go to heaven or not, because I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, and you will surely see whether or not you're able to get to heaven. And here's his next point about faith is not enough. According to Jesus, however, admission into heaven is not that easy. Faith is not enough. We must also live a good life and do good deeds. For example, in Matthew 16:27, it says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Some will find this news troubling. Jesus also insisted that few souls are to be admitted into heaven. He said, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, for I tell you that many will try to enter, but will not succeed. Luke 13.24 This news is not so good. Actually, that news is very good. And if he understood what the scriptures meant in their context, he would be able to understand that. But, you know, Jonathan, he made some actually good points, okay? The door to heaven is a very narrow door. It is an invitational door. Everybody doesn't get to go there. But that's not a bad thing. Because if you understand the rest of the Bible, what you see is the plan of salvation is bigger than this gentleman is giving the Scriptures credit for. Much bigger. As a matter of fact, it even includes him, okay, whether he likes it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's move it along to redemption. And we're talking about the context. This is the world. We're looking at humanity. Right. Okay, so redemption. Remember, the legal method by which salvation is accomplished. Sin brought the glaring need for redemption, and redemption really is justice. You needed to to do something different. Even in cursing Satan, 
God foreshadowed redemption and told uh, and the total defeat of sin by showing the sacrifice of Jesus. So we're going to go back to Genesis 3.15, and this is God pro- uh, proclaiming a curse upon Satan. Listen carefully to what he says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay, that's a couple of lines, Jonathan. It's pretty straightforward, or is it? It's confusing. So, so, so go back through it and, and add as you go back through it, who is being talked about because it's he and you and her and him and what's being said. Go back and just dot the All I's right. and cross the T's. Let's do it. And I, God, will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your seed, Satan, and her seed, Jesus. G- he, Jesus, shall bruise you, Satan, on the head. And you, Satan, shall bruise Jesus, him, on the heel. So what this is showing us is Jesus, when you bruise the serpent on the head, that's a death blow. So yes, it it, it's showing us redemption. It's showing us the, that, that Jesus, this the promised seed, and we know it's prophetic. We're not going to get into that at this moment. Uh, that Jesus is the one to bring this redemption. So salvation was necessary because the garden and all of the perfection was lost because of sin. And in the curse given to Satan, we see the foreshadowing of the redemption price. Next, the redemption applied. Okay, applied. Jesus came as a man to pay the exact price necessary for Adam. Adam was a man. Jesus was a man. Jesus pays the price. Romans 5, verses 12 and 15. Jonathan These are two of my very favorite scriptures in all of the Bible because they give you a sense of the depth of what redemption really is. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So it's a simple equation. Through one man, sin enters the world and everybody suffers. Through one man, justification enters the world and everybody has an opportunity. It's perfect, perfect justice. It is. So when we see redemption, God does the redeeming through the satisfaction of justice. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And our, our friend, the, the atheist, who's, who's essentially mocking scripture, is basically uh, missing the point that there's this big picture in scripture that tells us it's not over till it's over. And God has got this well in hand, and God is a just and merciful God, just first and merciful, and things can work out. Now, prophecy confirmed redemption. Okay, um, prophecy confirmed redemption. So, again, we go back to prophecy. Remember Isaiah 35. Isaiah gives hope to those who struggle as they wait for redemption and the transition to God's kingdom previously described. So, we saw the redemption, if you will, the, the, the salvation picture shown in the recapturing of the earth in Isaiah 35, 1-2. Now let's go to Isaiah 35, 3-4. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious hearts, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. 
the recompense of God will come. Okay. I can't wait, Rick. Well, <laughs> it'll be amazing for mankind. So redemption is shown in Isaiah 35 in a very small way. The recompense of God will come. In other words, God doesn't just let things arbitrarily happen and say, oh, no, I missed that one. This, you know, when we look, especially when we look to mock God, you know, like the uh, atheist ally situation w- w- was talking about, we miss the greatness of the plan. The recompense will come. And that's showing us redemption is definitely in play. It's absolutely positively in play. You've got salvation and you've got redemption. So salvation and redemption for the world. Jonathan, let's wrap up this segment. All of humanity suffered loss as a result of Adam. And God's justice says all of humanity, therefore, has opportunity for redemption. That is salvation. So let's understand clearly. We talked about last week, we talked about the depth of justification and sanctification and on all those things with the called out ones of Jesus. Now we're talking about the application of those exact same things to all of humanity. All of humanity, Jonathan, suffered the same loss. All of humanity, therefore, has the same opportunity for redemption. Now, is it exactly the same as those called out? No. And we're going to show you the differences in just a moment. But what we're showing you is that salvation is there for them as well. There's a resounding theme being repeated. God is just, and Jesus' sacrifice uh, satisfies the requirements of that justice. If the whole world has been redeemed, aren't they now on trial for life like the followers of Jesus? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in convo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. The question of the world's liability to eternal life or death is supremely important. We have given great detail to show how Jesus' followers are presently experiencing salvation. The fact is, according to Scripture, the world's experience with salvation comes later, after Jesus' followers are all proven. So, folks, we are talking about the pathway of the world of mankind, Aside from the followers of Jesus who have this pathway to heaven, it's very clear, and the glory is is resounding. But now we're looking at those words and saying, what do they mean for the rest of the world? We talked about salvation, and we talked about redemption thus far. And now it's time for justification. Okay, if it's time for justification, let's get started with it. Justification is the application of the ransom price, which comes on an individual basis. And just like with the followers of Jesus, it comes to people individually. Because of disobedience, Adam and his posterity lost their just stand before God. Because Adam sinned, Jonathan, no human being born, except for Jesus, had the ability to stand up before God on their own merits. And that's a problem. That is. (laughs) God cannot look upon sin. Right, exactly. Now, 
this loss happened back in Genesis. So we go back to the Genesis account again to see where the need for justification comes into play. Genesis 3, verses 17 and 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you eat it, will eat it, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You, the, the, the penalty for sin is death. You are no longer just before God. So to be justified, something has to change because no human being can avoid that. But you remember, you know, they always say two things in life that are sure, death and taxes. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're talking about death. That is a sure thing. Until, until what? Justify, justification applied, Rick. Okay. Jesus' sacrifice. Until Jesus' sacrifice, it gives every human personal accountability once they're raised and then freed from the condemnation of Adam. And we can see that in a small way in John 5, verses 28 and 29. For an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear their voice and will come forth, those who have done good deeds to the resurrection of life, and those who have committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, Rick, uh, as you know, the King James Version mistranslates this word uh, judgment, and they make it damnation. That word has confused Christians for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's unfortunate because the word judgment isn't a final stamp of approval or disapproval. It is a time of trial. You know, when somebody is under judgment, you know, you're, you're, you are, you're, you're hiring somebody and you're putting them on, giving them a trial. What are you doing? You're watching everything they do. Are they, are they going to be able to do the job or not? Do you want them to be part of your organization or not? That's the thought behind this judgment here. It's a time of trial in which everyone, according to what Jesus says, you know, the, the world's coming forth to this time to show themselves to be able to stand in God's world. So how does that happen? How does it all work? And Rick, prophecy confirms justification. All right. We go back to prophecy to answer the question. So it's interesting. When we ask a question about the future, we always go to the past. Because in the past, you have the prophecies that are written that give us sometimes a veiled, but necessarily an explanation of what's happening in the future. Jeremiah chapter 31. And we're going to keep coming back to Jeremiah now for a little bit. Jeremiah 31, 29 and 30. In those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge but everyone will die for his own iniquity. So this is interesting because it says in those days, no longer will they say, well, I was born in Adam. What else could I do? Of course I was going to sin. It takes all of the excuses away. So that's what this is telling us is happening in the future for all mankind. The power, You are responsible for your own actions. And then we go back to Isaiah uh, chapter 35, part of verse 4, and we're just going to read one, two, three, four, five little words. But he will save you. That's what justification is. Remember, justification is an event. And we talked about justification for the followers of Jesus last week, and we said that that event happens when they've been called of God, and they respond to the call, and God accepts them and says, okay, you're with me now, I'm giving you my spirit. That's when they are justified. But what about the world? Not now, not yet, but later. It's future. Just like Jeremiah said, in those days, 
Okay, nobody in the world is saying, well, you know, everybody is everybody's always looking back and blaming somebody or something else for what's going wrong. In those days, all of that stops. That's a future event. I love that, Rick. Equity for humankind. They will be given a fair opportunity, even our atheist friend. Absolutely. Everybody is given the same fairness of opportunity. Speaking of our atheist friend, let's go back to heaven. Do you qualify from uh, atheist ally? No riches or family in heaven. This is what he's talking about next. And again, he's quoting scripture to make his points. And you need to remember that the richer you are, the less likely you are to enter heaven. It says in Matthew 19.24, It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Make sure you empty your bank account before you die. We must also abandon our home and family, according to Matthew 19.20. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Okay, so again, he's quoting scripture, you know, and Jonathan, there's a, there's a part of me that says, okay, he's on to something good. But then what you end up with is the sarcasm. It says, see, you can't make it because of this. See, you can't make it because of that. You see, it's all hogwash. That's where he's going with this. And it's just too bad because he's quoting really good scriptures. You know, he is. <laughs> it is harder for someone with a ton of money to enter the kingdom. Why? Because the human propensity for attachment. That's why. That's why. Just why the, the same way it's harder for someone with fame. To, to enter the kingdom. Why? Because we're attached to the things that are about ourselves. And the kingdom in this age is about serving God through Christ, period. So he's close in some ways, but so far away. It's it, uh, almost, you know? <laughs> Let's go to reconciliation for the world. Okay, so remember, justification is that legal event that says you are now acquitted from Adam's sin. That's the important thing. The world has that in the future. Reconciliation, remember, is the process of reconnecting humanity with God. Adam, Adam lost his harmony with God, and a blood sacrifice was now needed to protect them in their out-of-harmony and out-of-God's protective care lives. Okay, so the harmony was lost. How do we know? Genesis 3, 21 to 23. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. You know, there's a, a point in this part of the account, Jonathan, that most people completely ignore. And it's an enormous point. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. What does that mean? Well, you were saying... Blood was shed. Yes. Animals had to die to cover them. Right. They, remember, they tried the fig leaves, and mm -hmm. that didn't work. So that wasn't acceptable. So you have right from the beginning. What do you have? You have God showing us that justice needs to be satisfied. Justice needs to be satisfied. A life for a life, essentially. So you have this animal sacrifice. Remember, throughout the whole Old Testament, animal sacrifices atoned for their sins. So here you see Adam and Eve being covered by an animal sacrifice. This is the beginning of a picture of what reconciliation is. 
Now, they needed the covering because they were going out into the, into the world, essentially, that was not uh, perfected the way the garden was. So God was taking care of them even though they deserved to die. So you see the mercy of God in that. Next, reconciliation applied. Okay, reconciliation applied. Those who are completely faithful to Jesus now are later called upon to minister reconciliation. We talked about this before. We're going to go back to it again. To all others through the mediation of Jesus himself. But before we get to that, Jonathan, Trish had, uh, my wife, our program observer, if you will, um, had dropped off a couple of questions when we were talking about justification a couple of minutes ago. And she says, you know, justification is that uh, acquittal. Uh, what is it? So does it really matter what you do now? You know, and that's the classic question. Well, if it's going to be in the future and you're going to get this justification anyway, who cares? Well, the answer is you better. Because your acquittal doesn't mean that your personal choices are just washed away. See, you're acquitted for Adam's sin. You're not acquitted from your personal choices. There's accountability. So, boy, it does matter what you do now. Because what you do now sets a template for where you start later. And if I were you, if I were me, I'd want to start in the most advantageous spot possible. So, and then she asks, is it still an individual justification? And the answer is absolutely yes. When is somebody justified in the future? When they're raised. Because they couldn't come back to life unless the sacrifice of Jesus was applied to them. So with each individual raising from the dead, from each individual in this world, you have a Jesus sacrifice applied. They are justified. They're acquitted from Adam's sin, and now they become accountable. So those are just important points that I didn't want to not get into. Let's get back to reconciliation applied and looking at the method that it happens. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry— by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. A mediator of a better covenant. So, in other words, you had the law covenant, which identified sin, and the new covenant, which, shows, uh, which identifies how to live. And so, Jesus is the mediator. When you have a mediator, you have two, two parties that are at odds that need to be brought together. It says Jesus mediates between the world and God, so they can move forward, okay? On top of that mediation, we have this, from 2 Corinthians verse chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. And this, we usually use the New American Standard Bible. We're using the Weymouth translation here for these verses. We've quoted them already. But it just gives a, a better sense of what is being said, especially with verse 20. And all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and is appointed to us to serve in the ministry of reconciliation. We are to tell how God, who is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not charging men's transgressions to their account, and that he has entrusted to us the message of this reconciliation. We, on Christ's behalf, beseech men to be reconciled to God. We, on Christ's behalf, beseech men be reconciled. That's one of the messages of Christianity. Here we begin to see a glimpse of the glory that's in store for Jesus' followers. So, Jonathan, this is describing that our work, if we're faithful, is to be reconcilers of the world to work with Jesus. And, and it shows how much God cares for all his human creation, and he's using his human creation to help other human 
creation. Right, exactly. And, and that shows you a caring creator. That shows you parenthood at its very best. You teach your, your child what to do, and then you teach your child how to teach the other children and how to teach others. It's always the expanding of goodness and grace, and that's what God is about. Prophecy confirm reconciliation, Rick. It absolutely does. All uh, humanity will be raised with full opportunity to regain harmony with with God, that harmony that Adam lost. So let's go back to Jeremiah 31. Uh, Now we'll go to verses 31 and 33. Remember, it was about, you know, sour grapes, and now no longer the fathers ate the sour grapes, but now each person is responsible for themselves. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, I will put my law within them and on their heart, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see the legal binding together. I will be their God, they shall be my people. That's reconciliation. And Rick, is this only talking about the Jews, uh, Israel, and Judah here? You know, that's a good question, because it says, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's where it begins. And see, that's the thing we need to understand, is that Israel, as a physical nation, is the beginning of the earthly process of God's kingdom. But it expands from there. We won't go into the scriptures now. But it expands from there to the rest of the world. So no, it starts with Israel. But it goes to everyone, and it's this legal binding together, this reconciliation of the differences so that mankind can live in accordance with God's will because they are now in a, in a place where they have been paid for, and now they can grow into what's coming. And we are going to see that legal reconciliation now from a different standpoint. When we go back to Isaiah, another prophecy, chapter 35, back to that same chapter, verses 5 through 7. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in Arabia. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jekylls, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. So you see the eyes of the blind being open, ears of deaf being unstopped, lame being able to, to, to run and so forth. And you say, well, wait, how is that reconciliation? Because it's taking away all of the maladies of sin and saying, God is saying, I'm bringing you forth on your own account, and I'm going to take away those maladies of sin so you have a, a legitimate, fair opportunity to be sanctified, and that's where we're going next. So it's showing God's legal care to say, I'm giving you everything legally you should have that Adam had. I'm giving you everything that first man had. I'm giving you that sense of the ability for perfection right in front of you. Go use it. That's a powerful thing. Oh, that is. So justification and reconciliation for the world. Let's wrap this segment up. The benefits of salvation for the world do come, but not now. Jesus will bring them justification, and his followers will bring reconciliation. So you see, Jesus gets the ball rolling, and the followers of Jesus pick it up and run with it. That's what Jesus' followers are being trained for now. So this approach gives us a worldwide application to Jesus' sacrifice and meaning to heaven for his followers. If humanity is to be made right before God in the future, what does their future glory look like? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. 
part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. The process that all humanity will have that gives them opportunity to come to God and live a godly life is very different than the Christian process. We are tested to be sacrificial in a hostile and degraded environment, while they, the world, will be tested to be obedient in a righteous learning environment. So, Jonathan, the whole thing about the environment is a completely different picture. And that, frankly, is one of the main reasons that true Christians end up going to heaven to be the reconcilers, and the world comes back in that, in that other environment. To be a Christian is harder, much harder, much more, there's much more required than uh, simple righteousness. Righteousness is wonderful, sacrifice is difficult. So that's where the difference is. So folks, we're talking about the world uh, coming and getting the benefits of justification and reconciliation up to this point. And Rick, how about sanctification for the world? Okay, and that's the process of becoming holy. Sanctification for the world is built upon being reconciled, being put back into a position where they can please God. So, Jonathan, let's go back to the garden again. Man's sin had earned him the opposite of sanctification, being driven away from God's presence. You know, being sanctification is to be purified and be brought toward God. Well, let's read Genesis 3.24 and see what happened. So he drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And Rick, that made me think of God was protecting the tree of life for the future kingdom on earth. And so man lost the privilege of being attached to that tree of life. Because that sustenance would keep them living forever, even in a sinful state, wouldn't it? So they had to be tossed out. He drove them out because they could no longer be part of that because sin had entered. So sanctification was exactly opposite at that point, and something had to be done. And sanctification applied? Okay. The world will learn, will learn true and godly righteousness through accountability. We know that. Uh, interestingly, we know that because that's one of the scriptures that, uh, that our atheist friend uh, quoted earlier, but Matthew twelve thirty six. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. So, you know, when Trish asked the question, okay, so it doesn't really matter what you do? Well, Jesus says it does. Okay, case closed, right there, accountability. You're freed, you're acquitted from Adam's sin, but you're not acquitted from your own decisions. You're not. We have to make those right. Sanctification is the process of growing up, of being purified, of becoming more and more godly by facing these things and dealing with them. Prophecy confirms sanctification. You know, every single turn we have taken, prophecy confirms it. And that's the interesting thing. You want to understand what happens in the future? You look back, and you find the prophecies that explain the future, because we don't know except of what the prophecies tell us. The learning process 
prophecies tell us is logical, it's detailed, and it's profound. Let's get back to Jeremiah 31, this time verse 34. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The key thing here, Jonathan, is they will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother. So now, see, sanctification is the application of all the legal things. You've got justification, is, is redemption is the, is the legal price. Justification is the application of that legal price. Reconciliation is getting it so you're on the same page legally. Sanctification is what you do with all of that. And think about it, Rick. There'll be no more false religion or false Christianity confusing people. Plus, Satan's influence will not be there. What a great environment. It is. And, and you know, that, that environment is actually described in a different way in the next scripture, Isaiah 35, verses 8 and 9. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it'll be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it'll be for him who walks that way and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ravenous beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. So the world and sanctification being made holy. What's this roadway called? The highway of holiness. Okay, it's a highway on which you are purified. That's what sanctification is, being being made holy, you know, rising up above what was to something that is acceptable in God's sight. So there's this incredible environment um, that that puts people in a place where they can actually learn. And going back to the, the Jeremiah scripture, they will not teach again every man and his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord. In other words, their, their, their communication changes between them and they actually can have a sanctifying effect on one another as they go up this highway of holiness. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. It is. It is. So it's the work, the work of developing ourselves to be uh, more God-pleasing. Because you know what the, the, the point is? The point is to get back to where Adam was. That's the point. That's the point of all of that. So, Jonathan, one last time, let's go to heaven. Do you qualify from our atheist uh, ally? And um, he's interestingly saying, okay, you know, you, you want to go to heaven? Well, don't worry about that because heaven's really not going to be there. What? Well, just listen. Finally, heaven itself may no longer exist. Matthew twenty four thirty five says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What becomes of the 144,000 residents once heaven is extinguished? Entry to heaven is clearly not as simple as the ministers proclaim. He's right about that. And Rick, he's quoting a parable. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Can you take a parable literally? Well, you can, but it's not going to be very good, okay? You can do whatever you want with it. But, you know, the point is, you know, he's talking about, yeah, heaven and earth will pass away because those are symbolic pieces of language that once you study the scriptures, you understand that. And you understand that the... the, the um, the, the, the spiritual governments of this world and, and, the, and the earth itself and the people of this world, all of that's going to be changed. And that's what the parable is showing us. It's not saying that heaven it passes away. And again, you don't expect somebody like that to be able to know that because they don't want to know it. 
you know, and, and that kind of, before we get to uh, f- uh, furthering our, our conversation and moving to uh, the next piece, you know, Trisha's, I think she's hung up on this idea of, you know, doing right or wrong now. And this is okay. good. I, I'm glad she is because she says, if doing wrong now will make it harder, then will doing right, being righteous now, make it easier? And the answer is absolutely. Because we are, so, so these are really good questions. They're practical questions about the process that everybody in the world is going to go through. If you are living a good life and a moral life and a life of integrity, and, and maybe you're not called of God, but you love God and you love Jesus, those are great, great things to build on. Don't stop. Because once you are brought back and you're given that justification, you have something to work with and something to run with. So they'll be running up the highway of holiness. <laughs> I think so. I mean, you know, again, that's a, that's, a, that's a picture, but I believe that. I thoroughly believe that there will be some great leaders in that resurrection time who will say, I've seen this already in different places and in different circumstances, and this is the best thing ever. Please come with us. You know, no man, they will not teach every man again his neighbor saying, no, the Lord. You'll have those people saying, I know him. I know him. I remember. You know, so it'll be exciting. Really an exciting time. Well, Rick, this brings us to glorification. And that's the result of justification, reconciliation, and sanctification. And again, we're talking about the world, every human being. Man, humankind lost his original glory of being created in God's own image. Um, And this is interesting. You know, we're talking about the original creation, but we're going to go to Luke chapter 3, verses 36 to 38, to look at the genealogy, because it says something very interesting that most people, again, skip over. The son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalali, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, and the son of Adam, the son of God. You know, it talks about Adam as the son of God. And, you know, that's a really important distinction to make here. Adam as the son of God. That, that is a beautiful thing. Well, Rick, for glory. Humanity will have a different glory than the followers of Christ. So humanity will, hopefully, will develop a perfect human body, but they're going to need to have sustenance, like like Adam, food and water and shelter. Um, they're going to need to eat of that tree of life, but they're going to be perfect the glorious way that God created Adam and Eve, right? Exactly. And the whole point of this salvation and redemption and justification and reconciliation and sanctification and glorification. The whole point is Adam was called the son of God. Humanity has a destiny to have the opportunity to be sons of God on earth the way Adam was. That doesn't mean they're spiritual beings. It means they're earthly sons of God. Well, the glory for the church their promise, glory, honor, and immortality. Rick, immortality means deathlessness. Right. Only God had that first, and he gave that to Jesus because he faithfully did his will. And the church, the follow, faithful followers, are going to receive that too. They won't need food. They won't need water. They won't need sleep. They have life within themselves. Wow, is that glorious. So you see that there's two levels of glory. 
And, you know, there's no bad decision here, okay? <laughs> it's a matter of understanding that glory has different levels. And, and, and there's a scripture, and I think in, I don't remember, it's first or second Corinthians. I think it's first. It says, you know, change from glory, from one glory to another glory. That's what it's talking about. The glory that Adam was the son of God. This is a great point that we need to understand. That's the destiny of mankind, should they choose to accept it. Well, now let's go to glorification applied and prophecy confirmed. Okay, again we go to prophecy. The world finally experiences what salvation is about. Micah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. No more war. Hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. All of that is over. That is the reconciliation and the sanctification being put into place and it's a state of human glory of peace among men. I mean, how, more, how much more powerful can you get than that? Everyone will sit under their own vine and fig tree. They'll have their own spot, their own um, sustenance, their own gardens to, to feed and care for themselves. And I love this. Nothing will make them afraid. There will be no fear here, Rick. Right. And so God's plan has always been to have an eternal family both in heaven and on earth. Don't forget the on earth. That's what that prophecy is saying. Let's go back to Isaiah 35, uh, verse 10, because it's showing us that family on earth, just in different words. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So the ransomed of the Lord, you know, in, in the, the previous Isaiah scripture, it talked about the redeemed. You're getting this, this, this incredible picture that the human race is redeemed and ransomed, and they'll find gladness and joy, and there's no more sorrow and sighing. All of this tells us God's glory is the glory we all should be focused on, and the glory of humanity is a wonderful thing. Sons of God, the way Adam was, a son of God. Jonathan, just to wrap this up, one last scripture. This was the announcement or part of the announcement of Jesus' birth, Luke 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest. Sanctification and glorification for the world, Jonathan. Let's wrap that up. God loves humanity and has always had a design in place for a human family to be his children and to be the glory of the earth. And you know what? To be the glory of the earth. Folks, that's why God created man originally, to be the glory of the earth. Let's not forget that part when we talk about the plan of God and the call to heaven is a wonderful, incredible privilege but why is it there? So that God and Christ can have those ministers to reconcile 
the rest of humanity because they are the glory of the earth. Praise God for his plan, his purposes, and his glory. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And let's not forget, coming up next week, are Christians really born again? Well, the scripture says it must be born again. So why are we asking, are Christians really born again? Well, we'll talk to you next week.